Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You're listening to the Financials Edition, taped on Thursday, September 22nd, 2016. But you're listening to this on Monday, October 31st at the earliest. I am in Hong Kong or San Francisco, hence the pre-tape. But I should be back in two days. Uh, my name is Gabby LaPera, and joining me on Skype is Dan Kaplinger, personal finance guru extraordinaire at The Motley Fool. How's it going, Dan? I'm doing good, Gabby. You ready for vacation? I'm so ready. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, today, we are going to channel the spirit of Halloween. So I'm going to tell you, Happy Halloween, Dan, and pretend it's Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great spooky voice. Um, I love Halloween. I don't know if you know what you're going to be for Halloween yet this year, but I totally do. I don't. I have not figured it out. It's uh, It's not today in my world right now. So I still have a month to figure it out. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I uh, I was Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg last year. Um, Sweet. But I accidentally got mixed up and realized I had another great costume idea for this year, which is Ruth Gator Ginsburg. <laughs> and next year, I'm going to be Ruth Darth Vader Ginsburg. Awesome. So <laughs> I'm just going to iterate on my theme for the next few years. Plus, she's a lovely lady. Um, so since today is Halloween in a month, um, we, uh, we decided that what we would, uh, do is talk about something that's a little ghoulish, but very important, and that is estate planning. Um, so estate planning is, these are things that you need to do before you die. Um, and I think most people have in their heads that, you know, like, I really need to get a will, you know, I don't think that they even think about other stuff that that could be attached to that. So to get us started, Dan, um, what documents do you need to prepare before death? Yeah, there, there are a bunch of documents that's really helpful to have in a number of situations, not just in preparation for death, but also in case you actually manage to keep living. Um, and having the having a full set of these estate planning documents can help you and your family in a wide range of situations. So the first you mentioned is the will, very basic, and it's definitely a good idea to have because it is the primary instrument for figuring out where your stuff goes after you die. But it's not the only document that does that. And a lot of people get confused about this. One thing you have to be absolutely sure that you do is complete what are known as beneficiary designations. These forms are used for accounts that you have at financial institutions that require them. And so that's the sort of thing. It's like an IRA, for instance. If you have a retirement account, whether it's an IRA or 401k, they will have you fill out a beneficiary designation. And on that, you'll say, okay, who's going to take this account after I pass away? Now, a lot of people mistakenly think that that document determines, um, or rather that their will says where their IRA or their 401k or other types of these accounts, where those are going to go after they die. And your will does not control that. It's your beneficiary designation that controls that. So it's important on not only retirement accounts, but also life insurance policies. And check with your financial institution. A number of places will have these sorts of forms available on other types of accounts as well, and what's called payable on death accounts. So make sure if you have one of those, you filled out that necessary paperwork. So, and so the other major class of documents you should have are what's known as powers of attorney. And those fall into two categories. 
one covers financial elements and so it lets you name someone else who can take care of things like writing checks on your bank account paying your bills uh, making trades in your investment account this happens if you're incapacitated so you're still living but something's happened to you you've had a major accident you have a major illness you're not able to take care of those affairs on your own this person can step in and handle that so that's the financial side then you have another power of attorney on the healthcare side. That's the person who can make medical decisions on your behalf. Going with that power of attorney is also what's sometimes known as an advanced medical directive. Some people call it a living will. And that's where you set out what your wishes are for whether you want uh, life-saving uh, techniques used, whether it's a, a life support system or other, other measures taken to extend your life or whether you don't want those, you have an opportunity to express that. So it's a wide range of documents, but they cover a bunch of different situations. And suffice to say that for all of these things, you should choose, like for your power of attorney, um, both medical and like financial, you should choose people that you really trust. Um, you, you know, like, and it's it, you can change that over time. That's not a problem. But um, you also want to make sure that this is legally binding. So you want to find a lawyer to help you do these things and there's lawyers who specialize in this which leads yeah, and to me- it's not just that uh-huh. it's not just you should pick people that you trust but you should pick people who kind of know the gravity of the situation who are prepared to deal with the hard decisions they might be asked to make it's 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 important that you be able to trust them but, but they also have to have a comfort level that if they're called upon to act that they feel comfortable. They know what you want. They know what you would do. It's so much easier to do that when everything's great up front, well before any of those documents are needed, so that if that crisis happens, the person you name will be ready to handle it. Yeah, you you definitely want to be prepared. Um, I do have a question for you, though. We talked about wills, but I also know that trusts are something that's commonly recommended to people who are doing estate planning. Can you kind of go over what the difference between a will and a trust is? Yeah, I mean, basically, what a will does is it is not, it, it's in a document, it sits there, but it doesn't really take effect until you, the time of your death. And then at that point, that's when the will kicks in and you follow the instructions that are given in it. A trust, on the other hand, is something that you can set up during your lifetime. It has the same instructions that you would find in a will to handle what happens to your assets after your death, but it can also make provisions for what happens to your assets during your lifetime. For instance, a lot of the time the way that a trust gets drafted, the person who's the trustee after the person who's created the trust essentially takes on the same role in managing that trust asset as someone who's given the power of attorney over your financial matters would be given to the assets that aren't in a trust setup. And so it's that same level of trust that you are establishing with the person that you name to take over if you're unable to do so. Now the big advantage that having a trust over a will does is that having a trust generally prevents you from having to go to a probate court to have your your matters dealt with after your death. A trust doesn't have to be a public document. The trustee has the power after your death to take action as specified 
in its instructions. And so doesn't generally need to have any court oversight to follow those instructions. So if on you, the other hand, so, a will hold on, in if you, general needs to be adjudicated before a court judge and those instructions, your will becomes a public document. And so in those situations, it's something that a lot of people are less comfortable with having those documents be out there in the public eye. You know, it's not like everybody's looking at them necessarily, but they are available in case anyone is curious. And for many people who are interested in maintaining their privacy, that's really not something that they need to have in everybody's business. They prefer the confidentiality that a trust setup allows you to maintain. So, with the wills, since apparently, do they all have to be um, sent to probate? The the processes for dealing with wills differ from state to state, and some states have what are known as simplified proceedings in order to handle like the vast majority of situations where there aren't that many assets where there isn't that big, you know, you're only talking about transfers of like a minimal amount of money or a minimal number of pieces of property. But if you do have, you know, but a lot of the time the thresholds for those simplified procedures are pretty low. And so if you have more than just a minimal amount of assets that you're trying to pass on to your heirs, those, those simplified processes aren't available and you do have to do a full-blown probate proceeding it involves hiring an attorney, gutting the necessary court documents written up, and figuring out how to navigate that probate process, which can take months or even years, and can, and people, can be extremely costly, especially if there are any complicated situations that arise. What I was going to ask is, can people challenge your will if it ends up in probate court, or is that yes. so yes. that that's another that would be another advantage of having a trust is that no one's going to be able to go to court. Or they're a lot less likely to be able to go to court and challenge it. Um, in yeah, open court, I mean, it's, right? it's again that that becomes one of the elements of the confidentiality aspect of it. So a trust document doesn't have to be public. It doesn't mean that it's invisible. For instance, in order for a trust to work, you have to actually put your property into the trust. And so, for instance, if you own a house. You're going to want to transfer. You're going to want to do a deed of transfer out of your own individual name into the name of the trust. And so, anybody who looks up real estate uh, property records, which are public documents, will know that your house is owned in the name of a trust. So they'll know it exists. That opens the door to potential challenges, um, but it's not quite as simple a process as it is when you have a will that's just out in the open. Okay, so what I'm hearing is that um, trusts are potentially a better vehicle for a lot of people. Um, and I know that there's different types of trust. I know um, like the ones that we have been talking about have been living trusts. And of those living trusts, there's both revocable and irrevocable trusts. Um, yeah, the living trust is generally, it, generally a... Um, when you hear somebody talking about living trusts, they're generally talking about revocable living trusts because uh, that's the kind of trust that you can make changes to during your lifetime. As you point out, the irrevocable trusts are things that once you create that trust, you can't change the aspects of it. You can't change the instructions. And for the most part, you know there are, there are more specific specific specialized reasons to use irrevocable trusts during your lifetime but 
in many, in the vast majority of cases, when you're talking about basic estate planning, you're talking about setting up a revocable trust. Um, I know that, or I think I know, because I'm not 100% clear on trust, but uh, the irrevocable trust, um, while you can't make changes to it, I, I was under the impression that the appreciated ad, um, assets aren't going to be subject to a state trust, which might be one of the reasons you might be interested in opening an irrevocable one versus a revocable um, living trust. And of course, you can have multiple trusts set up, right? That's true. You can have multiple trusts set up. And you're right that in terms of when you're talking about gift and estate tax, by setting up an irrevocable trust that vests at the time of the initial formation of the trust, the valuation of that trust at its formation is the value that will be used for determining the gift and estate tax value that is charged against your unified gift and estate tax credit at your death. That's very complicated, but so as you complicated. say, the net result of that is if you give property that's worth $10,000, you put that into an irrevocable trust now, over the next 30 or 40 years, it, it climbs up to 100000 The value that will be treated as the appropriate value for gift and estate tax purposes will be that 10000 value at the time that you made the gift, not the 100000 that's the appreciated value at the time of your death. That's assuming that you made an irrevocable trust that's not subject to being clawed back into your estate. Those rules are probably more technical than we want to get into at this point, but <laughs> yep. in general, you can, with the help of your attorney, set up an irrevocable trust to achieve those ends and get the estate tax relief that you want. Um, so, I have a series of questions for you about trusts, and then I want to get into the estate tax. So, rapid fire. Um, sure. Where can I get a trust? An estate planning attorney is probably the best way to structure a trust to, because an estate planning attorney will know what questions to ask in order to figure out exactly what you want to happen under what circumstances and to get the documents set up the way that you want. How much does it cost to set up a trust? It usually costs, uh, a guy, you know, legal fees from place to place vary greatly. But what I will say is this, it usually costs more upfront to set up a trust than it, than it does to draft a simple will. But when you consider the additional cost later on of a will, the cost of hiring an attorney to go through the probate process, the total costs that you'll spend on estate planning throughout your lifetime and then after your death in the case of a will and the probate proceeding are often roughly comparable. So it's more a matter of timing than it is a matter of how much you'll spend. You might save more upfront on a will, but if it's costly to administer in probate after your death, then that's when the cost will catch up to what you what to the total amount you would have paid for a trust. So it's kind of whether or not you want your kids to have to deal with it or you. Um, yeah. <laughs> how often uh, should you update a trust? And if so, how often should you update a trust? Whether you have a will or a trust, it makes sense to have it taken look taken a look at regularly in a number of situations. I'd say in general, you know, every three to five years is a good idea just to make sure that there haven't been any major legal changes that would affect the situation. However, you should have it taken a look at more frequently than that if there are major changes 
either to your financial situation or to your family situation. So for instance, if you get married, if you get divorced, if you have a child, these things are generally going to change the way that you want uh, your assets to pass after you die. And so it makes sense to have your estate planning documents taken a look at to make sure that they still do what you want to do. And that goes not just for the will and not just for the trust, but also for those beneficiary designations that we were talking about earlier. You definitely don't want an account that when, that you set up when you were married to go to your ex-spouse after you get divorced. And yet there's a huge number of beneficiary designations out there that do that just because the person forgets that that beneficiary designation was out there in the first place. Um, and I do want to let listeners know that your estate attorney will probably charge you a fee to update your trust and or will, but it's a lot less than it was to set it up in the first place. Um, Often, yes. Yeah. And, and more importantly, it avoids very important aspects. You know, it avoids some major problems that can occur if you have an out-of-date document that might not actually meet the needs and wishes that you have because of these changes that can occur. Definitely. Um, so let's move on to estate taxes. Um, this is something that happens after you die, obviously, and your estate gets passed on to someone. And I think most people have this conception that like uh, everyone gets charged an estate tax, and um, you know, like you're you're gonna lose like half the value of whatever gets passed on to you. And that's not true at the federal level. Um, estate taxes only apply on inheritances uh, on the, the part of the the estate that exceeds five point four five million dollars which is, for most people, a lot of money. That's right. And it's something that, you know, yeah, a lot of people pay a lot of attention to the 40% rate, which is very high. It's higher than any of the income tax brackets that are out there. But you're right. You have this, what's, called, what's, what's known as the lifetime exemption amount that covers not just what's in your estate when you pass away, but also taxable gifts that you make during your lifetime you can give up to a total of $5.45 million to heirs, either during your lifetime or in your estate when you pass away, without having to pay any estate taxes at all. And that doesn't even include a lot of the exemptions that are available for estate tax. For instance, you can give an unlimited amount to a spouse, and you won't have to pay any estate taxes on that. Um, there are other exceptions for things, you know, if you make a gift of money that goes towards uh, someone's educational expenses, as long as that as long as the gift is made directly to the educational institution, that qualifies for an exemption. So there are all kinds of these exemptions that can add up. And even if you do have a large enough estate that you sort of have to worry about that amount, there are still techniques you, that you can use either to reduce your estate tax, or to eliminate it entirely at the federal level. Um, and the other thing to think about um, is that although the this probably won't apply to you from the federal level, although it might, um, some states uh, have not increased their estate tax level in the same way that the federal government has. Um, currently, there are 14 states that have estate taxes, plus D.C. 
Um, and most have far lower thresholds than the federal estate tax. So New Jersey is the lowest at $675,000. Um, but then there's other states like Maryland and New York that currently have estate taxes that thresholds that are lower than the federal government, but they're um, working to raise theirs until it's on par with the federal government. So if you live in one of those 14 states, you might want to take that into account when you're crafting your your post death what to do documents. Um, so this kind of brings us up on the last portion of our show. So we talked about all these things that you need to think about uh, before you die. Um, and this is also something you need to think about before you die, but it's something that will make your whoever you leave behind's life a lot easier. Um, and this is something that one of that another another podcast voice you might be familiar with wrote, and this is Robert Brokamp, um, "Letter from Your Dead Husband," um, and I can send you guys that PDF if you want. But it has all sorts of things. Um, there's frequently, I know, in my parents' relationship, um, my father handles a lot of the financial stuff, and my mom doesn't really think about it too much um, in terms of like actually managing accounts and stuff like that. So I think it would be really helpful for her um, for if my or when I suppose my father passes away, if she had um, a, a letter that that listed, for example, what all accounts they have. Um, do they have any storage units? You know, um, who should you call when he dies? Like what attorney should be called that can be trusted that has all of their information like who their broker is who their accountant is um, these are things that people don't really think about but when you die um, you're not alive to tell people where all this stuff is uh, so having it all written down in one central location is really really important for the people that you leave behind that's absolutely correct and I, I mean it's something that a lot of people never never really think to do but at least giving your loved ones some sense of what's out there, what they need to be paying attention to, even like you say, even if it's just pointing them in the right direction of, okay, do I call our accountant? Do I call, do we have an attorney? Is, you know, how do I get in touch with our attorney? Um, you know, is it just going down the, to the bank down the street that they already know really well? Uh, just getting a sense of, of the lay of the land as far as how you've managed financial affairs is important. You know, one aspect that a lot of people don't think about now is just how much of their financial lives is online or on mobile devices. And so having some way of giving people the password access that they'll need is important so that things can run smoothly. And a lot of financial institutions are a little bit behind when it comes to this. You know, I know I've heard stories about people being able to log into deceased people's accounts and even conduct transactions after someone's death. From a family member's perspective, that might be exactly what you want to be able to do, but technically it's something that financial institutions are going to have very different policies governing. And so it's important to understand that in that after-death situation, you know, family members are going to have to navigate very different situations, even you know, across similar types of things. So if you have a bank account at one bank, you might end up having to do something completely different from a bank account at another bank, just because of the policies and procedures that each institution happens to have in place. So I think that if you take one thing away from this podcast is that you should you should prepare 
before you die a lot of stuff. Um, I think a lot of people think I'm dead and gone. What's what does it matter? Um, it it matters to the people that you leave behind. Even if you're not leaving anyone behind, um, you should still you should still be prepared. You should still be organized. Um, I know that uh, <laughs> that sometimes it's really hard to think about these things. Like people don't really want to think about dying. Um, so, for example, my parents and I have uh, had a couple chats about what they want to do with their estate when they die, and I'm like, that's great, but I have no power to enforce that. Like, I really need you guys to go to a lawyer and write all this stuff down, um, because otherwise I'm going to have to go to court. Um, and I think that, like, mentally they've accepted that, but emotionally they're not quite ready to do it yet. Um, but I hope... This is just an ongoing conversation that I think people need to continue to have with their spouses, their parents, whoever it is, um, so that you guys can be prepared when, you know, that eventuality happens. It's a very difficult conversation to have, but it is a very important one to have. Just making sure, you know, as as a child or a grandchild, you don't necessarily need to know the specifics. You just need to know that the the people you care for, that they've taken care of things that they're seeing the right people to get stuff in place to make everything easier down the road. Yeah. So, mom and dad, if you're listening, please visit that estate lawyer. I know I keep nagging you about it. Hopefully, it'll have more weight coming over the airwaves rather than in person. Do um, it, LaPerez. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, um, Dan Kaplinger, for joining us. I hope you think of a totally rad Halloween costume between here and October 31st. Um, I guarantee it. Listeners, if you want to send me pictures of your Halloween costumes, I will think that's hilarious when I'm super sleep deprived when I get back here on November 2nd. Um, as usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Contact us at industryfocus at fool.com or by tweeting us at mfindustryfocus. Thank you again to Austin Morgan. I hope that we've made you think about your death a little bit more today. <laughs> and thank you to y'all for joining us. Everyone have a great week. <laughs>